Um, if you have a Bible, I would invite you to open it to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter number 1. I am also looking for my own sermon at this point in time, which is not pulled up, so bear with me. <clears throat> I don't remember what it's called. It's probably right in front of me. It is. All right, in our readings um, for uh, our church that we've been kind of doing, walking through on Wednesday nights with our Bible reading plan, um, there's a couple of interesting kind of moments that have just come up between Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. Uh, some of that is just the fact that we are reading in our Bible reading plan several um, books that we have also studied or are studying um, on Sunday mornings. And so we have read First and Second Timothy. Um, we have been reading in uh, Titus this week. You should have uh, finished uh, Titus today if you are reading at the same pace that I am. And then we go into First and Second Timothy, and then we go into John. So here is the struggle. We have walked through the entirety of First, uh, not Timothy, First Peter. Uh, we've walked through all of that together as a church, and so I didn't want to bore you with that again. Um, and we are going through the Gospel of John right now. So I'm, I'm, um, I'm calling an audible here for the next couple of weeks. We are going to study in its entirety the letter of 2 Timothy. So we have already completed that reading, which is good. You should be somewhat familiar with it. And now we'll spend some time kind of diving into that uh, a little bit more than really we have any of the other letters in our midweek time together. So if you're wondering, wow, Danny, this is weird. We're not reading in 2 Timothy anymore. Why are you still talking about it? Well, just know that's the reason why. Um, and so we're going to spend some time there. I will tell you this. I feel like I've told you this already, but first and second, uh, Timothy and Titus, they're known as the pastoral epistles that Paul wrote uh, to other pastors. And uh, they are certainly in a, in a category. They are my favorite writings in, uh, in the Bible. Now there's probably the reason is because it's from one pastor to another pastor. So I'm a little biased, obviously. Um, but if I could tell you one letter that in particular is my absolute favorite, Second Timothy alone would be that letter. So I'm excited that we're going to spend some time together uh, in that letter for the next couple of weeks. So know that we did it because of the preaching schedule, but also know uh, just a little selfishly we're doing it because it's also my favorite. So uh, we are, we're going to spend a couple of weeks in uh, Second uh, Timothy. So Anyway, as I was preparing and I was reading um, this week, I was thinking about from the from the text in Second Timothy. I was thinking about the word mask. What what do you think of when you hear that word? COVID. You know, that never crossed my mind until Billy walked in earlier and said, I hope this isn't about COVID. I never even thought about that type of mask. Um, so before COVID, what would you have thought of when I said the word mask? <laughs> Halloween, disguise, Mardi Gras, whoa. I didn't think we talked about those kind of things. That's right. You've never been to Mardi Gras. You'd never do that. It's weird. When I think of the word mask, I instantly think, as it has been mentioned or at least implied, uh, I think of hiding something. In fact, I looked up the word just in, in you know, just for fun, I looked up the word in dictionary.com. Uh, it defines the word mask as a covering for all or part of the face worn to conceal one's identity. So a mask, even though you think of COVID, is not worn to protect us from spreading disease. It is actually worn to 
hide who you actually are, right? So there's some identity involved that you don't want to know, uh, you don't want people to know who you are. You are concealing your identity. I was thinking about this for this reason. You don't have to answer this, but just think about it. Have you ever wanted to hide something or conceal something about yourself from others? Like just think about that for a moment. Has there ever been a time in your life where you wanted to hide or conceal something about yourself from other people? You did not want them to know about it. When I was, when I was growing up, my parents didn't have a lot of money. Now we weren't like super poor where like we couldn't eat or anything like that. We just didn't have a lot of the things that other kids or other families um, in the neighborhoods around me had. And so we just didn't have a lot of money, though we had enough to get by. But anyway, because of that, I was typically a little ashamed of of most of what we did have like it wasn't that we went without but what we had was like the lower quality and it was obvious to everyone else around me that I was the the one that kind of stuck out from the rest right like I didn't have the name brand stuff the nice things that everybody else had so because of that I was usually a little ashamed of what we did have matter of fact I was thinking through that a little bit in just some some stories from my past but I remember I would get my parents to to drop me off uh, for different events. As a matter of fact, I remember there was a there was a short season of time where my mom dropped me off at school, and I would ask her to drop me off a few blocks from the school because our car didn't have a muffler on it and it was all beat up, and I didn't want people to know that was me getting out of that car. And so I was like, "Mom, I I can't I can't be seen getting out of this jalopy that you call uh, a car." I remember I, uh, I never let friends stay at my house. I always stayed at my friend's house because I never wanted anybody to see uh, where I lived. Um, I grew up in a, in a pretty, pretty bad trailer park in Pendorf. And um, when people make jokes about roaches being a part of their family, they really were. Um, we were very accustomed uh, to the roaches that, that were in our house. Matter of fact, I think I've shared this before, but me and my sisters used to fight with who would get to unlock the door when we got back from town because when you turned the lights on, you were the first one to see the roaches scatter. And so... Um, I didn't want I didn't want friends to see where I lived. I remember spending a lot of summers working for my grandpa and I would save up all the money from my summer jobs just so I could buy name brand clothes and shoes that would last me for the next year so that maybe I could hide uh, what my life was actually like. In fact, I'll never forget, this one is still very vivid in my mind. I remember my, my parents didn't have a whole lot of money and then there were, for some reason, there were times that we just didn't make good decisions probably with money. I'm not trying to tell all my parents. They're fantastic parents. I love them. They took care of me. It's not a big deal. But I remember we didn't get the phone bill paid one time and uh, I had some friends I got to school the next day and I, I had some friends who were saying hey man I, I tried to call you and it said your number uh, was disconnected and so obviously I was a little embarrassed because my parents couldn't pay the bills and so I didn't want them to know uh, that we were poor and so I remember making up a story about how I got grounded and because I'm real sneaky you know and getting around what my parents wanted me to do they just went ahead and had the phone cut off so that way I wouldn't use it you know to to, to call uh, my friends Here, here's I only tell you this because because really, like, I just remember uh, several different times in my life trying my best to mask or to conceal what was really happening in my life. Now, you may think all those things are dumb and a little ridiculous. And to be honest, now that I've grown up a little bit, I don't really care about any of those things either. I've had most of the same clothes for the past 10 years. Like, I just don't really care anymore about those things. But at that time, uh, it, was, it was a really big deal to me, even though looking back, I realized how dumb it was. But even though that may not be your story or exactly what... Uh, 
you would say happened to you, I bet all of you can relate to at least what I'm talking about. May not be the exact same, but we've all tried to hide things about ourselves from other people, right? May even be ourselves, may even be God. There have been plenty of times where we've tried to put on a mask, plenty of times where we've tried to conceal and cover up who we are. It might be a detail about your family that you hope no one finds out about or um, an event that you went to uh, last weekend that you hope none of your church people hear about that you were at last weekend. This, by the way, can go the other way, too. You've got friends or co-workers at work that you don't want to know that you've been doing a lot of church stuff, so you don't want them to hear about those uh, either. It could be some flaw uh, that maybe you have that you try to hide uh, better than anyone else because you're afraid that people will reject you if they know whatever that is. And I don't know everybody's situation. I don't know uh, what all you know you have in your life what what skeletons are in your closet but here's what I do know most all of us have tried at some point to mask something all of us have been guilty of trying to hide something about ourselves from someone else now Sometimes I even think we wear so many masks or try to uh, hide and conceal so many things or be that perfect person or whatever it might be. We do it so much that we're uh, hiding things about ourselves from other people to the point that we don't even really know uh, the, the truth about ourselves anymore. Take this thought a little bit further. I think this happens more among Christians than it does with any other group in the world. Mainly it's because the life that Jesus wants us to live is oftentimes very different from the life that our culture tells us to live. And because of this, it becomes a struggle for us. It's just easier to be like everyone else. Just keep your head down, uh, get, get your work done, get back home. There's no need to represent Jesus to the point that people actually know that we're different or that we love uh, God. I think if we're not careful, our lives will be defined by what other people think about us and we'll forget, here it is, you ready? We'll forget that our identity and culture is controlled by our identity in Christ. Our identity and culture should be controlled by our identity in Christ. It's not a subsection of our lives. It is our lives. It's not just a piece that we might hang on our wall in our living room or above our doorway. It's not just a t-shirt that somebody bought us because it's a southern kind of thing, right? No, no. It's everything about who we are. Our identity and culture is controlled by our identity in Christ. Now, I don't think there's anywhere in the Bible that illustrates this better than Paul's letter to Timothy. And really, I think it's because of the context in which Paul is writing. If you have your Bible open, 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to start at the very beginning. I want to help you see a little bit of this context and then show you what Paul reminds Timothy of when it comes to our identity and culture being controlled by our identity in Christ. Look at verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So obviously the letter is from Paul, written to a young pastor by the name of Timothy. We'll get into a little bit more of that context as we move further uh, through this letter, but he's wanting to impart some wisdom to Timothy. And then it says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, and as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with 
joy. Now, 2 Timothy, in case you don't know, this is the final letter that the Apostle Paul will ever write. This ends Paul's life. He's writing this letter from a cold jail in Rome where he is a prisoner. He has seen the face of Nero, the emperor of Rome, who will eventually take his life. When Paul's writing this letter, and you'll realize it on every page that we read, as you understand it now, he knows that his days are coming to an end. These are his final words. Now to build this context up a little bit more for you, imagine you're the leader of the Christian faith and you know you are about to no longer be on this earth. In fact, don't even put it in the context of being the leader of the Christian faith. Just think if you knew that you were about to die, you knew your days were numbered, what would you want to say to people that you love and care about? How much would that change what you do the rest of today, tomorrow, and the rest of this week? And the things that you do write or talk about or share or say in these final days, how important do you think those things would be? Because here's the Apostle Paul who has led the Christian faith in a way that no one ever has, and he knows that these are the final words that he will leave behind to the next leaders of the Christian faith. This is why I think he writes, I thank God as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. I think this is why Paul writes, I long to see you. He knows these will be his final words. In fact, these are not just the last words that he would leave to the next leaders of the Christian faith. These are the last words that he would leave with all those in the Christian faith. If you were leaving me with your final words, let me tell you something. I would put them in a category of extreme importance. If I was going to write a letter tonight to Josiah, my son, knowing that I would never see him again, can you imagine how valuable that page would be to me and what I hope would be to him? That's what's happening in 2 Timothy. That's why we're going to focus on this letter for the next few weeks. Paul's final words carry a lot of weight, and that weight begins with this thought tonight. Our identity and culture is controlled by our identity in Christ. Let me show you how Paul reminds Timothy of this truth, and not just him, but us. Let me show you this. Here's the first thing. We are people of pursuit. We pursue what God wants. We pursue Jesus with our lives. I can only imagine what Paul's thinking about as he knows these are the last things he will write to Timothy. But his encouragement to him to live out his faith in the culture around him, not to back down, not to be afraid, not to be scared, but to move forward. All of that is wrapped up in the things that we will read in the first chapter of Second Timothy. We are people of pursuit. Look at verse 5. Let's continue there. Paul writes, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first with your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Now let's pause here because we don't need to move any further to realize what Paul's letting Timothy in on as far as it pertains to our pursuit of Jesus every day. Let me show you this. First of all, our pursuit begins with conversion. That is the first thing that Paul highlights for Timothy. He instantly thinks back to Timothy's conversion when he gave his life to Jesus. 
Paul is reminded of his faith. No one can even think about pursuing Jesus, following God with their life, without having a relationship with Jesus. Obviously, our pursuit of Christ begins with conversion. But in my mind, here's all I can picture as Paul's sitting in that jail cell, and he's thinking about Timothy, and he's thinking about the, the onward motion of the cause of Jesus, and he's going to be gone. The next leaders have to rise up. Timothy is one of those guys. He's thinking about what will happen next in his life, and he's burdened, and he's praying, and he's in tears as he thinks about his friend moving forward with the gospel and here's all I can imagine he's without a doubt remembering the time that he and Barnabas entered this town by the name of Lystra you can read the full story in Acts chapter 14 they enter the town and a lame man is healed then the people are astounded by it and they begin to bring offerings to Paul and Barnabas and they try to treat them like they are gods. Paul says, it's not me, it's Jesus. And then a bunch of Jews come in and they trick the people of the town to try to kill Paul. As a matter of fact, they stoned him so much that they thought Paul was dead, but that he wasn't. They got him out of the town. He continued on his missionary journeys. We know that from the context of the Bible. But here's the bigger picture of that moment in Acts chapter 14. Numerous people were saved under the preaching of Paul and Barnabas. Guess who some of those people were? Timothy's mother, Timothy's grandmother, and Timothy. All give their lives to Jesus when Paul and Barnabas go there to share the gospel. As a matter of fact, in Acts 16, Timothy then joins Paul and Silas on their second missionary journey, thus showing the beauty of his relationship with the Lord. Paul is reminding Timothy as he will stand for the gospel for the future, don't forget, we are people of pursuit. What do you mean? We pursue Jesus with our lives. It begins with conversion. But he shows him this too. Our pursuit of Jesus with our lives begins with conversion, but it also builds with commitment. Now, I love what Paul writes here. He isn't just reminded of Timothy's faith. He uses a little word there before the word faith. In my Bible, it's the word sincere faith. Now, the word for sincere is what they call the negative adjective form of the word that we translate as hypocrisy. In other words, Timothy didn't just have a faith that was based on attending church or going to church events or, you know, wearing the t-shirt, whatever it was. His faith was seen in the life that he lived in commitment to the Lord and in his future decision of serving the Lord with his life. Matter of fact, I want to give you an extreme example of this kind of extreme or sincere faith. In Acts chapter 16, you may or may not know this, but Timothy meets up with Paul and Silas when they're on their next missionary journey, and he is so overcome by the Spirit of God, he wants to join them on their next missionary efforts. Hey man, I heard about Jesus. You came to me, changed my life forever. I want to go with you so that I can tell people of the same news that I've heard. Now most of us would be like, awesome, the more the merrier, but that's not what Paul does. Paul says, hey, Timothy, if you're serious about this, if you want to go with us on the next missionary journey, hey, man, I got some bad news. You've got to be circumcised before you can come with us. Now, listen, if you don't know what circumcision is, Steve will tell you about it later. Just ask him. All right, he'll give you the details. But here's what I will tell you, right? Not trying to be overly or gruesome or weird or anything like that, but just imagine for a second. You are a teenager, Okay, with the medical technology of Acts chapter 16, and
then Paul says, hey, we would love for you to come and share the gospel with us, but you've got to get circumcised. Now think about that for a moment, okay? We could be told we've got to study our Bible and we're out, right? We could be told we've got to pray more and we're like, no, I can't do that. We've got to come to church. We've got to invest in a smoker. We've got to serve on a team. We get simple things and we're like, Jesus, if you want that kind of commitment, I don't know if I can do it. Timothy's told he's got to get circumcised. And he says, you tell me where to lay down. Let's make it happen. And he said, Danny, that's kind of weird. I agree. But don't you see from that his sincere faith? We, we struggle with simple acts of obedience. Timothy said, you tell me what I have to do because I'll do anything to follow Jesus. We would call that sincere faith, our pursuit begins with conversion. Our pursuit builds with commitment. But watch this, because this is so important to me. Ultimately, as people of pursuit, our pursuit binds with contentment. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, this next part is a description not of Timothy, but of the Apostle Paul as he writes this letter. There's no greater picture of contentment than Paul sitting in a jail cell writing this letter as he awaits his own execution. He could have been mad at Jesus. He could have been angry at God for what he was doing. He could have quit on everything else and just backed out so that he could go and live his life however he wanted to, but he didn't. He stayed the course. As Paul wrote himself, he finished the race. The good fight was his, and he would never whine. He would never complain because he was content being wherever Jesus wanted him to be. He was content with the Lord's will for his life because his faith was supremely in the Lord. He trusted God with everything, whether he lived or he died. He trusted God. Why? Why wear a mask? Why hide who we are in Christ? We're pursuing what all people should be pursuing. That's nothing to hide from. Could it be that you're ashamed to represent Jesus because you've never actually surrendered your life to him like Timothy did? Could it be that you're hiding who you are in Christ because you're not committed like you should be at this point in your relationship with Jesus? Don't forget, Timothy was willing to do anything. The question is, are you? Could it be that you're wearing a mask, hiding from who you are in Christ because you're not content with the life that he's given you? Could be that you want what everyone else has and you've lost sight of all that God has given you. Friend, it's easy to wear a mask when you're not pursuing God. Think about that. I'm going to say it again. It's easy to wear a mask when you're not pursuing God. And maybe tonight is a great opportunity for you to be reminded from another man's life what it looks like to follow Jesus. And maybe this evening you need to spend some time with Jesus and tell him you're sorry, ask for forgiveness, and ask him to move you forward as you pursue him with your life. Paul reminds Timothy, we are people of pursuit. We pursue Jesus. He shows him something else, though. Not just that we are people of pursuit, but we are people of purpose. Timothy, it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. There's going to be a lot of things ahead of you. I'm in jail right now because of Jesus. That can't be a great testimony for you for the future. But buddy, listen, man, we are people of purpose. We live according to the purpose that God has for us. Let's keep going. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Look, let's go to verse 6. For this reason, I love, by the way, this section of scripture. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has given us a spirit of, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, 
Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I don't know if you can find a more rich text to encourage a believer to continue to follow after Jesus. If you can't hear the purpose that God's placed in your life as a follower of him after reading that, then you might not know him. Because we're people of purpose, people who live according to the purposes of God, not our own, there are a few things that we need to do that Paul reminds Timothy of, which, by the way, I think he reminds us of. It's a little smaller because it's a lot. I hope you can see it. But here's the first one. Fan the flame. We are people of purpose. What do we need to do? We need to fan the flame. Did you catch that challenge from Paul? He tells Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God. What was Paul referring to? Paul reminded Timothy of the gift that God had placed within him to serve the gospel. Timothy in particular was a pastor. He was a teacher. He was a leader of God's people. Paul wanted Timothy to remain to use that gift that God had given him. Friends, can I remind you of something? Timothy is not the only follower of Jesus who's been gifted by God to serve him. All of us have been gifted by God. Maybe multiple gifts that God has given us to be used in winning people to him. You may not be a teacher. You may not be a preacher. You may not be pastoring a church. I guess no None of you are. None of those may be the case for you like they are for Timothy. But the same way that God placed a gift in him to be used for furthering the kingdom, he has done it for every person who follows Jesus. You might not think you have much to offer, but friend, you do. You might not think you have a gift, but friend, you do. The question is, what is it? How is God wanting you to serve? When you know it, here's what he encourages you to do. Fan the flame. Have you ever done that to a flame? What happens? Right? Fan the flame. What's he saying? Let it go. Make it big. Get out there and change the world. Don't let it die down. Fan the flame. You've been created on purpose for a purpose. We need to fan the flame. Look at this one, though. We also need to forget the fear. I love this moment that Paul reminds Timothy of. He says, God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, why would this be so important for Timothy? Why would this be so important for us? Well, let me just give you a few things that I think about when I think about fear. Here's the first one. If we're not careful, fear can silence us. I read a story about the premier of uh, the, the Soviet Union. His name at that time was Nikita Khrushchev. You may pronounce that differently, and I'll let you correct me later. Anyway, he denounced many of the policies and atrocities of Joseph Stalin, but once he was, he was in a public meeting and, and people were listening uh, to, to him talk, but he was, he was sitting at a table and he was having a conversation with a group of people when someone on the outside heard what he was talking about and they interrupted him with a, with a shout. Here's what they shouted. You were one of Stalin's colleagues. Why didn't you stop him? That's what they yelled out in the midst of this company that he was with. And so Khrushchev, he, 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 he roared back, 
Who said that? Right? Crowd of people. He's at a table. Someone heckles him with this question. He shouts back, wait, wait, wait. Who was that? Hey, where, where are you? Guess what happened? Nothing. Nobody said a word. Nobody moved a muscle. And then Khrushchev said this, now you know why. Right? Why? Because fear can silence us. When we let fear dominate our lives, we become silent when we should be speaking up. For me, I'm always reminded as a kid of riding the school bus. I don't know how many of you rode the school bus, but I had, if you're a school bus driver, by the way, I'm so sorry for what's about to happen next. But I had in my mind, because I only had one school bus driver, I had in my mind what I think of all school bus drivers. Her name was Miss Pitts, and um, I'm pretty sure she hated children. But anyway, Mrs. Pitts was, was, was my bus driver, and I was a horrible bus kid. So I, I admit that from, from the, from the get-go. But I'll never forget one day I had started, like, this paper fight that was going on on the bus. I mean, we were, we were like, spitballing. We were throwing wads of paper. And listen, a wad of paper hit Miss Pitts in the back of the head. And she pulled the bus over on the side of the road, parked it, and she got up. She said, who did that? And listen, not a peep on the bus, right? Why? We knew we'd get in trouble. Fear set in, and nobody moved a muscle. That's what happens when we let fear into our lives. It can silence us. But watch this. Fear can also shake us. <clears throat> I, uh, I received this, uh, this little joke the other day. I thought it was funny. It, it, it goes, one summer night during a severe thunderstorm, a mother was tucking her small son into bed. She was about to turn the light off when he asked in a trembling voice, Mommy, will you stay with me all night? Smiling, the mother gave him a warm, reassuring hug and said tenderly, I can't, dear. I have to sleep in Daddy's room. A long silence followed, and at last it was broken by a shaky little voice that said, That big sissy. <laughs> If we let fear creep in, right, it can silence us when we should be speaking out. We let fear creep in, it can shake us when we should be shaking the foundations of the world with the gospel of Jesus. But also, you know what ultimately happens? It may begin with silencing and it may begin with shaking, but eventually fear can stop us. Two explorers were on a jungle safari when suddenly a ferocious lion jumped in front of them. Keep calm. The first explorer whispered, remember what we read in that book on wild animals. If you stand perfectly still and look the lion in the eye, he will turn and run. Sure, replied his companion. You've read the book and I've read the book, but has the lion read the book? <laughs> There's no surprise that Timothy would be fearful at this time in the advancement of the gospel. His hero, the Apostle Paul, is in prison and he's facing certain death for the very same thing that Timothy would do for the rest of his life. What was he, what was the church going to do without the great Apostle Paul? How would they face the future? How would they survive? He was in danger of fear just like we are. With the world like it is today, it would be so much easier to just stay out of it, just live our lives in silence. If I don't mess with them, they won't mess with me. But when when we let fear grab us like this, it will keep us from serving Jesus. And friend, Timothy couldn't let that happen, and neither could we. When we're fearful, 
the devil wins because we back down from doing what God wants. But there's so many moments in the Bible where this proves to be otherwise. You may remember the story where Saul was scared to face Goliath, but David comes out in the power of God and defeats him. You may remember when Saul and the armies of Israel were scared of the Philistines, but his own son and armor bearer alone went and defeated the entire army. You may remember the people of Israel and how scared they were to take the promised land, and so they were doomed to wander in the desert for 40 years. We can't let fear hold us back. Whatever God is calling us to do, he will give us all we need to accomplish it. We are people of purpose. Fan the flame. Forget the fear. Watch this one. Follow the facts. I love this little side note as Paul's reminding Timothy. He says, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Do not be ashamed. There's nothing about the gospel and the testimony of our Lord that should be apologized about. There's nothing to be ashamed of when it comes to the truth of salvation for the world through Jesus. The very power of God is with those who are unashamed. We are people of purpose. We need to fan the flame, forget the fear, follow the facts, fulfill the future. I love this last part in that section of verses. When Paul makes this point clear with this statement, he called us to a holy calling because of his own purpose and grace. Friend, don't forget your life has forever been changed. You're now a part of a holy calling. You're now a part of a glorious future that God has. What if we stopped wimping out and we started standing strong and fulfilling the future that God has for us? What has God uniquely purposed you for? How will you serve God with your life? While we hide behind our masks, God has actually purposed us to be seen for him, for his glory. So Paul reminds Timothy, we are people of pursuit. We pursue Jesus. He reminds Timothy, we are people of purpose. God has gifted us to serve his purposes, purposes we can't even begin to imagine. And then watch this. He reminds Timothy that we are people of passion. We're passionate about the things of God. Look at verse 11, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let's read a couple more verses and we'll be done. 2 Timothy 1 verse 11. Paul goes on, he says, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. There's his gifting, right? His purpose that he includes with Timothy. But he goes on, he says, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Now watch this. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Watch this. We have a passion for serving. This is why Paul reminds Timothy, Jesus is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. The question for Paul, the question for Timothy is no longer about what God wants him to do. It's about how he's going to continue to do it. Paul made it clear that he was going to continue to serve God. Even as he's in prison, they could stop his preaching, but they could not stop his praying. They could not stop his pen from writing. He would find ways to serve because nothing they could do could bother him. He knew that Jesus was the one guarding the work entrusted to him. Until Jesus saw fit for that to stop, Paul would continue to have passion for serving. Friend, he's not done with you yet. When he is, he'll let you know. Until then, you keep passionately serving him. We have a passion for scripture. 
I love this moment. Paul reminded Timothy to follow the pattern of the sound words that he heard from Paul. He didn't have what we have today. Thankfully, we have these nice leather-bound, beautiful, uh, complete uh, pictures of God's word, but he's still reminding him of the same thing. God's word is always important in a Christian's life. I could never stress enough the greatness and the power and the, and the purpose behind the word of God for each of us. We need it every day to bind our hearts with the heart of God. The only way for a life to be transformed is through the power of the word. Paul's pursuit, purpose, passion, it all came from one place. That is the word. We have the Bible at our sides at all times. Maybe we should have a greater passion for spending time in it. And watch this. We have a passion for success. I love how Paul ends his challenge to Timothy. I don't want you to miss it. It's in verse 14. Look back at it. He says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Though Paul is writing to Timothy, he uses the word us. Do you see that? By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Now, sure, he's probably talking about him and Timothy. But what if, what if in the beauty of the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, He's actually talking about us. I wonder if that word is used because the Holy Spirit wanted Paul to include us in this room tonight. It wasn't just Timothy that needed to continue moving forward with the power of the Holy Spirit. It would be all of us. Paul wanted Timothy to guard what God had entrusted to him so that he would not become discouraged and lose heart. He wanted him to continue to guard it so that the success of the gospel would continue through Timothy even after he was gone. We are, we are people who must be passionate about the things of Jesus because he gave us new life, changed us from dead to life, changed us forever. Listen, Paul's pretty clear with Timothy about who we are in Christ. He's clear about the kind of people we must be in order to change the world. The question for each of us tonight is simply this. Can you honestly say tonight that your identity and culture is controlled by your identity in Christ. I'm not asking if that's true sometimes or if you hope that's who you are, if that's even who you want to be. I'm asking, are you living out your identity in Christ to the world around you? Friend, if you've been wearing a mask, take it off. I don't care what you're trying to hide. God wants to change the world, and it starts with each of us in this room tonight. We're people of pursuit. Are you pursuing Jesus daily? We're people of purpose. Are you serving God so that he can accomplish his purposes in you and through you? You've been made on purpose for a purpose, friend. We're people of passion. Are you passionately following Jesus? Our identity and culture must be controlled by our identity in Christ. Is that true for you tonight? Listen, you're going to leave this room. You're going to go back to all the wonderful things that you do all week long. As you do, is your focus on a thousand different things, or do you sit back and go, you know what, Jesus, how can you use me here? What are you working in this moment? How is my life in this place bringing you honor and bringing you glory? Friends, our identity and culture should be in control by our identity in Christ. Is it, or is it not even a second thought for us most days? Listen, I pray that Timothy's testimony, Paul's charge, is as encouraging and challenging to you as, as it is to me. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I pray that the Lord guides you as you strive to live for him.